Time to travel on SAFM. Well, over the past two years, the Sleeping Out Free Accommodation Programme has given away over two million rands worth of free accommodation. Rick Hutton is CEO of Sleeping Out and Dining Out, and he joins me now. Rick, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Good evening, Karen. Yes, and it's great to be back. Um, I hope you're keeping well. Well, first of all, should I congratulate you or should I congratulate the winners on this amazing milestone you've reached? Well, I think it's a combination, the winners, the the guests that book with us and the establishments that have put their faith in us. And uh, we're very excited about reaching this milestone. So for those who don't know what's going on here, and they're thinking, what is this free accommodation thing? Sleeping Out's been running this program now for, what, well, that's about two years. And right. basically, you can book with Sleeping Out on the internet and then what happens basically uh, as you probably know Karen the accommodation market or the online accommodation market in South Africa is quite competitive and most of the websites have got the same accommodation selling it at the same prices and really what most people try to do in order to um, to be competitive in the marketplace is to concentrate on trying to get to number one position in Google And as you probably know, 33% of users will always click on the first entry in Google. The second entry only gets 18%, but if you're in 10th position, you'll be lucky to get more than three people out of 100. So everybody's trying to get to that number one position. And what we wanted to do was try to take a different approach. And that was to take all of the people that have booked with us and then try to encourage them to come back and book again and again with us by offering something a bit more. So we created about two years ago the free accommodation program, and basically it works like this. We've got uh, participating establishments, and they pay 10% of every booking that they get uh, into a free accommodation fund. And from this fund, we then give every 10th guest their money back, and those guests get their stay for free. So this offers a um, something extra. It uh, it helps the establishments because they get extra bookings. Every tenth guest is getting their booking for free, and obviously for us it's fantastic because we've got an ever expanding base of customers who are wanting to book with Sleeping Out because they're getting the same accommodation at the same price, but they actually have an opportunity to get um, every tenth booking for free. Now, the thing is that people think, oh, well, yeah, right, you know, you could just say that that's what happens. But on your website, you've actually got the people and you've now just also launched your Hall of Fame, which showcases some of the winners. And I mean, what was the biggest? There was one that was actually quite an enormous amount of money. Yes, the biggest we've had so far is a lady called Christine Prevost. She had a booking for 46,000 rand. Um, which is quite amazing. Uh, she's actually had two bookings, and her total winnings between the two bookings are 66,000 rand. Oh my goodness, I'm sure she loves booking with you. <laughs> yeah, she did. And it's amazing. A lot of people have actually, um, although it's one in ten, there's a lot of people who the very first time they ever booked on Sleeping Out, they got their accommodation for free. We have a, another lady. Um, she's won ten times now. Oh, my goodness. So it's definitely something that uh, once you've been on Sleeping Out, once you've sort of uh, seen what actually happens and you appreciate that you have this opportunity, um, people tend to come back for this. And, um, you know, it's really working great.
So you say some of them have won more than once. How do you how do you pick the winners? You say every tenth guest that books on sleeping out, basically. It doesn't actually work like that. It's actually a formula. It's a little bit complicated, but it's generated automatically through the computer. So it's not actually every tenth guest. You could, for example, have three people win in a row, and then nobody wins 15 times in a row. But on average, it works out at every tenth guest. So this isn't you sitting there thinking, well, I like Mrs. So-and-so, because she, <laughs> no. it's got no, there's no human input into who wins here. It's a computer-generated winner. Absolutely not. It's generated automatically through the computer based on the amount of money in this uh, free accommodation oh, fund. Oh, right, okay. And that generates automatically a, a, a sort of algorithm which tells us uh, which, which person has won. And you can book from one rand to 100,000 rand, and you, if you win, you'll get all your money back, not just the deposit you paid, it's everything you paid. 100%. If you paid a 10% deposit on 1,000 rand, uh, you'd get the 1,000 rand back, not the 10%. Um, and, and the way that that works is that after the person has actually stayed at the establishment, they get their refund afterwards. So they don't actually know they're going to win until they've actually been stayed and, and, and had their stay there. Cheapest, it's enough to make you want to go on holiday every week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, I'm assuming this is going to continue. I mean, you're having such great success with this. I'm assuming this is an ongoing program now. Yeah, it doesn't seem long ago since we passed the 1 million mark. Yes. It's now passed the 2 million mark. And what we actually did for this milestone is we ran a competition asking the public to try to guess which day we would pass the 2 million rand mark. And then we had a whole array of prizes, including GoPro cameras and Nespresso machines and computer tablets and that sort of thing. And we've just been giving away the prizes actually in the last week to the people that were closest to the date. That's the thing I really like about this program, Rick, is the fact that it's all transparent. I mean, you can go onto your website, you can see the people who've won. There's photographs, there's little stories that they all say about the fact that they've won. I mean, it's, it's all above board and very transparent. So it's not as if you're just saying this and people think, oh, well, yeah, it's all very well you're saying this is what happens, but how do we really know? Well, the real people are right there. You can go and have a look. This is a very important part of it because we sort of live in a world today where every second day someone's getting an email mm. saying that they've just won $20 million in a sweepstake which they never entered. So well, I'm a millionaire people, over and over, I can tell you. I've won so much money, it's frightening. <laughs> yeah, so people tend to be very sceptical. So we have to try to, when people first come to the site, we need them to know that this really is a genuine program, that there are real people who win, and that is why we get the photographs of the people and their details, and we put that onto the site. So anybody could, for example, look at one of these winners, see the establishment which they won at, and they could call them and check that it's, uh, that it's all above board. And, uh, and it is, and um, you know, that's why we have everything up there for everybody to see. Are you getting more and more establishments signing up as well, so the range is bigger? We are. I, I think we're on roughly about 20%. We've got about 9,000 establishments listed altogether. I think we're up to about 20% or so of those establishments um, have joined the free accommodation program. Because for them, what we do is if they're part of the program, we move them to the top of the search results, which helps them to get more bookings. And obviously, it makes it easier for the public 
to find those establishments which are participating in the program. And this is across the country and it is from B&Bs to what? Yeah, we've got houseboats, uh, uh, camping sites, five-star hotels, uh, luxury apartments in Camps Bay. We've got every type of accommodation, self-catering, whatever, and all over the country and some establishments outside of the country as well. So basically, it's you know, if people sitting there thinking, well, it's it's only for the really sort of top of the line. It's almost something for everybody. It absolutely is. Um, we have bookings as low as two hundred rand, and in fact, this week we got a booking for sixty six thousand rand. I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm sure they're hoping they're going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if they do, it's great, and we'd be very happy for them. So it's anybody. I mean, you can go and book on any of these places. I mean, it's really. As I said, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. It's, it's something for everybody. And you can go and have a look and possibly get your holiday for free. What a wonderful way to arrive home and get this. What, do you phone them or do you email them? How do they find out? Well, what happens is that uh, after they've stayed in their accommodation, they receive an email automatically about a week later where we ask them to rate the establishment on service and cleanliness and so on. And when they do that rating, it automatically generates the algorithm which determines if they're a winner. And if they are, then it immediately uh, sends them an email saying that they've become a winner. And then we also have people in the office to sort of phone up as well in case we have some skeptical people that don't really believe that they've won. (laughs) <laughs> probably think it's one of those scams. I really can't believe I've actually won something. I know. You know? This is what most people say. If you read the comments yeah. on there, that everybody <laughs> says, oh, I've never won anything in my whole life. I can't believe that I've won. And they're over the moon about it. Well, it sounds like you're on a really a, a, a winning streak here, I reckon. I wish you much success and may this continue for a very, very long time. And I'm sure all your guests think so too. But thank you so very much for joining me. And I look forward to speaking to you at the 3 million. What is that going to be next week or when will that be, Rick? Very well, soon. I don't know. I would <laughs> Very early in the new year, well, probably. We'll chat about that because I think it's wonderful that you guys are doing so well. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Karen, thanks very much. And maybe if you could just uh, let your... I will uh, give out the website. Um, ...that we've got the Hall of Fame up now, yes. as you rightly pointed mm. out. And if they come onto the site, and uh, it's www.sleeping-out.co.za and then they can find the Hall of Fame and have a look and see what we're doing. And hopefully book themselves a holiday that they might win for free. Yes. Rick, thank you so much for your time this evening. Okay, thank you very much, Karen. Thank you. for having me. Pleasure. Good night to you. Good night. Rick Hutton is CEO of Sleeping Out and Dining Out, and if you'd like to find out more about this wonderful possible free accommodation you could be winning for yourself, take a look at the website. It's sleeping-out.co.za. Time to travel on SAFM. Well, Tourism Month is celebrated in September and it was officially launched by the Minister of Tourism, Mr. Derek Honeycomb, in Johannesburg yesterday. To tell us more about what to expect next month, I'm joined now by Tulani Nzima, CEO of SA Tourism. Tulani, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back. Thank you very much, Karen. Good to have uh, an opportunity to, to remind South Africans once again about the beauty of traveling. Now, Tourism Month next month, it was officially launched yesterday. Um, what are some of the key events that are being planned for that specific month? What we generally do is to expose the less visited provinces in our country and uh, at the same time making sure that we, we, we discover the hidden gems of those particular provinces. 
So what we're going to do next month, we will be going to the Northern Cape and uh, we will uh, go through various experiences that are generally not well known, but there is quite a lot that uh, we have got lined up, uh, including experiences with the media as well. We'll expose them to some of these tourist experiences. Will all this information about these undiscovered by the general public sites be up on the SA Tourism website? Can people go and find out exactly what they should be going to see? Yes, what we have done, in line with our campaign, nothing is more fun than a short left, to make sure that people do not just end up by uh, listening to us talk, they can go to our website and then find some good deals that we have put together. These deals are designed to make sure that uh, travel is affordable, that people can find by provinces, by various experiences, including by price range when they're looking for various experiences. These are already there, and if you want to see a little bit more specifically uh, on what's happening in the Northern Cape, definitely you can see those kind of experiences and how much you can pay for them. Now, this is the point, though, Tulani, is that it's not, they mustn't just think this only happens in September. There are all these fabulous deals on SouthAfrica.net throughout the year. That, that's very correct, uh, Karen. Uh, in, in fact, we c- encourage South Africans not just to think about taking a, a flight when you want to go on holiday. Don't think about going to Cape Town only if you are in Johannesburg. You can also take a short left, not very far from home. Surprise yourself and, and some of the South Africans who don't know enough about these various experiences. Uh, it's always a rewarding experience once you've done that. And we could travel around here for an entire year and not even see a small bit of what there is to see in this country because I always find it fascinating when we get visitors from overseas, international visitors, who seem to find and see and do more things than we as South Africans do ourselves. Isn't that embarrassing? It's, it's very embarrassing. <laughs> I have actually taken a vow that uh, enough of uh, foreigners introducing yes. me in my own country. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I, had, I had better do it myself. Yes. You know? and, and I've also done some of the most adventurous experiences. I've done the bungee jumping <gasps> in Titicama, the 216-meter um, the highest uh, bungee jump Why? on a bridge. Why? Firstly, uh, <laughs> I want to experience what it is that uh, gets people naively uh, excited about this thing. So how did you enjoy that, just by the way? I, I, my eyes were wide open. <laughs> I could see exactly where I'm going to plunge if there was any such a thing. But it, it's actually adrenaline-pumping stuff. Mm, you know? Once you've done it, you, you, you just feel like, wow, my goodness, uh, why haven't I done that uh, earlier? I'll take your word for it, Tulani. You're a better person than me. I will not be jumping off any bridges. I'll take your word that it's fabulous. I'll just watch other people do it. But yes, someone who has done it and uh, yeah. lived... And you lived, yes. (laughs) That's the best part, that you live to tell the story. So, I mean, as as we both of us are saying, you know, we need to go and be tourists in our own country, really. There is so much to see. You'll be surprised at how much there is to see there. I think the other thing that we need to really start doing is to have as many tourism ambassadors as possible in the country. And one way of doing that is to make sure that those of us who love the country very much do go out there and experience the various things we can come back and say, you know what? You didn't know what's in the free state. This is what I've discovered. Share those experiences. Use your cameras. Use your social network systems. And uh, encourage South Africans to do the same. And we have actually discovered in the past two or three years during the uh, high uh, period of economic meltdown that it makes sense that you, you have some level of reliance in your domestic tourism. Otherwise, you'll be badly exposed to the extent that you can threaten the existence of your uh, tourism industry. So uh, reliance on your domestic tourism makes a lot of sense. In our case, 
for the period 2013, we only had uh, in, the, in our total tourism 55% being domestic tourism. And really? I've traveled to countries like China and uh, India and the U.S. I find that uh, the longest queues in various tourist experiences are actually those of the locals wanting to experience their own facilities. Well, my next guest that's coming on after you is actually a colleague of mine from SAFM in Johannesburg who just spent five days up at Isimangaliso. There there was a, a mountain bike sort of staged ride through that. And listening to some of the people that he spoke to, they said that Isimangaliso now is actually rivaling Kruger Park for what you can see and do there. And that is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Now, I don't know how many people have actually gone up and experienced Isimangaliso. It's a wonderful destination. It, it, it's actually... Very exciting. Uh, last week, I was fortunate to be there when we were having uh, the Saki conference. And it gave me so much insight into what people are doing in that area. But what was even more interesting for me is the economic contribution of an event such as the, 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 the cycle uh, yes. tour that you are talking mm. about. The guys were raising funds. About 500 of them descended into St. Lucia. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very small town. Yes. But it, they were very fortunate in the sense that there were two events happening at the same time. All the facilities were booked out, including uh, restaurants, but all the, the, the B&Bs and the guest houses were well booked out. So it makes sense that we go to small places like that. We contribute to the economy. We contribute to job creation as well. I could see the faces of those individuals who had an opportunity to work, although some of the, uh, the, the jobs may not have been permanent by nature. But at least it begins to give one some form of dignity when you know you can wake up every day and go do something. You know, it was a proud moment. I shared some experiences and had discussions with some of the business people there. They really appreciated it. And thanks to the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Economic Development and Tourism, who made sure that we exposed this hidden gem of our country. Now, with the September coming up as Tourism Month next month, Chilani, how are you positioning South Africa as a destination of choice? Because that's what we also, besides us going to explore the country, we also want the international visitors to come and spend all that wonderful money here. We always want to position our country as a, a great value for money destination. We have got experiences here that are suited for every budgetary requirement that we have. The second thing is about variety of experiences. South Africa is not a one-dimensional uh, tourist destination. Yes, we have been successful as a safari and a scenic beauty destination, but we have also discovered that today's tourists is looking for much more than just pure indulgence. They are looking for authentic experiences. They want to be in touch with themselves. And in this regard, South Africa has a very rich heritage and culture that we, we can share with the world out there. This is what, what we try and position South Africa into, from being a good safari experience to bringing in these other things that add value. And it, it, this is what is going to give us a sustainable uh, tourism inflow from now going forward. We are also uh, showcasing uh, our design and lifestyle and uh, a, a lot more of community tourism. A lot of people coming into this country are no longer just interested in being in a, a, a bus, going on tours and taking pictures. They want to be engaged with the people, with the communities where tourism is happening. People are no longer interested in just being in Cape Town. The important thing is 
What am I doing when I'm in Cape Town? And that comes with the warmth of the people that we have in South Africa. Well, if we have to leave people with one thought out for their for tonight is go and explore your own country and be an ambassador when there's hopefully all those hundreds and thousands of international tourists come here. Um, we can be ambassadors for our country. Definitely, we have to be ambassadors for our own country because nobody else will do it for us. The second thing is that uh, let's uh, do away with the myth that it is expensive to travel. It takes a lot of planning, maybe not a lot, a little bit of planning, Go search the information that we've got on our website on shortleft.co.za. You will find plenty of uh, options there that are affordable, exciting, and will fulfill your dreams. Let's change from the shopping therapy when we're stressed into travel therapy. It's a bit longer lasting, it's fulfilling, it's fun, and it's affordable. So is it, it's short left, or shot, we spell it S-H-O-T left, shot left? That's correct. It's, okay. Uh, yeah, S-H-O-T left. Okay, shotleft.co.za all those wonderful local places to go and have a look at and lots of good deals and um, I'll give you I'll give you the SA Tourism website as well in a moment. Tulani, once again, thank you so very much indeed for your time. I always enjoy chatting with you and hopefully we can do it again soon. Thank you very much Karen and I always appreciate having us. Thanks so much Tulani. Good night to you. Tulani Nzima is CEO of South African Tourism and for more information on where to go, what to do, what to see here in South Africa, there's two options. Have a look at www.southafrica.net. That's the official SA Tourism website. Or if you're looking to find out some information about popping off for the weekend and really good deals, have a look. It's pronounced Shot Left. It's S-H-O-T-L-E-F-T, shotleft.co.za. Time to travel on SAFM. We all know my colleague, Stephen Kirker. You know, he comes on straight after me with uh, nighttime music. Well, he's just returned in one piece, apparently, from the Isimangalisu four-day mountain bike ride, which it turns out is far more than just a bike ride. Well, this unique four-day staged event over 260 kilometers, he's a better person than me for doing that. I wouldn't say so. <laughs> allows people like Stephen mountain bikers access to areas within Isimangalisu Wetland Park, UNESCO World Heritage Site. Stephen, you might have heard our CEO of South African Tourism thinking it was a wonderful thing. He was up there at the same time as you were. Well, Yes, and uh, the comments about the impact of tourism, because when I first went to St. Lucia all those many years ago, and I used to live in Swaziland, it was quite uh, close. It was, how should we say, rather undeveloped, and it attracted a certain kind of people. You could still drive your 4x4s on the beach, uh, fishermen, and uh, there were all these plantations over there. Now, it's a massive project to have um, areas proclaimed as parkland and, of course, uh, turned into a World Heritage Site through UNESCO. And the interesting thing, of course, is that uh, tourism numbers have really shot through the roof in recent years. When I was there, a lot of foreign tourists, you hear a lot of foreign languages being spoken. So clearly, um, you know, tourism is uh, making big changes in that area for the economy. And uh, this all from something which is, you know, sustainably exploiting the resources of the country. So you went off last week, Wednesday, you left Johannesburg and um, you, how you had an early start, I remember you saying, but you worked until midnight, so you must have been rather <laughs> half asleep by the time um, you got there. Yeah, yes, I was actually, because I think I got about uh, two and a half, three hours of uh, sleep, but managed to get my bicycle safely onto the SA Airlink plane, uh, headed off to Richards Bay. And uh, I was to be met at Richards Bay by Andrew Zalumis, who's the CEO of the um, Isimangaliso uh, Wetlands uh, Park project. 
and uh, I was expecting him to be at the airport. But it turns out he was actually on the aeroplane with me. But he didn't make himself known until uh, Richards Bay Airport when he and uh, one of my the people I ended up riding with, uh, Roland Verbrook, came and introduced themselves to me at the airport in Richards Bay. They did say they were going to take a look at me first. So if they hadn't well, liked the mm. look of me... <laughs> That's probably what they were, they were checking you out on the plane. <laughs> well, exactly, mm. yes. So off we headed to St. Lucia, the town of St. Lucia, which was uh, sort of the, the rallying point for everyone. We went to register there, and this is where your bicycle was put in a box and transported uh, on a lorry up to Mkuzi, which is quite a distance away, and to our first overnight stop, and you got in a bus. And this is when you registered and picked up your race pack, which included some nice goodies. You have to have a race pack when you have an event of uh, this nature. It had nice things in it, like a um, cell phone waterproof holder, maps of the maps of the reserve, your race numbers, tags for your baggage, because obviously you can't carry all your baggage with you on a mountain bike. So what would happen every morning is you'd pack up your bags and you'd leave them at a depot and uh, a truck would come along and take your bags to the next stop and you'd do it all again. Now, this was the second year that they ran this mountain bike, um, the four-day mountain bike race. Oh, it's, it's, actually, that's the whole point. It isn't a race. Well, as they I like to, like to say, it's a timed event and uh, they're quite right in that whenever you put uh, two people on a bicycle, one person's going to want to get there first. There were a couple of teams who went uh, hell for leather and d- did the course very, very quickly. But the bulk of us are very much uh, there to take in the scenery. And that was one of the aspects which was particularly pleasing about this event and something I spoke to my sister about because she loves doing mountain bike events, but she feels the pressure of having to finish in a certain time because generally their races, they were very generous with their time restrictions on this one. Basically, it was a safety factor. You couldn't be stuck out at night, especially since you were riding through areas where you had uh, the big five game. That was what I was found so interesting because I didn't realize personally that there was that much in the way of game up there because uh, one of the people you spoke to, um, which we'll, we'll listen to some of those clips a little later, but mentioned that it was um, they were rivaling Kruger Park almost. Well, again, this is something which has been happening over the last uh, 20 odd years. Andrew Zalumis, uh, certainly as CEO, has been a driving force behind it. There's much more parkland now. And traditionally, what they've done is, and I'll talk about the impact this has had on the game later when we get to my, my trip around it, they've reclaimed a lot of land. And of course, a lot of animal species managed to survive all this, but a lot of the other ones didn't. So, elephant has been reintroduced. Lions have been reintroduced. The latest project is to bring Eland back. So, yes, in terms of uh, the, the game that is available and through the entire four days we were taking part in this, of course, we had had it all. In fact, we got to see whales as well. So I believe, yes. Right. So now the day of the actual start of this timed event. Well, yes. Okay. So, the, well, after we got to Mkuzi and we got to the first rest camp, and uh, very nice because you get to sleep in a tent. Um, I know you're not much of a camper, no, are you? No, no, no. my wife's not much of a camper either. But there is the option, I have to tell you, that um, you can actually, if you book in time, get the um, you know a chalet to sleep in. So clearly, it's probably a better, yes. probably a bit better for the likes of you. Yes. But uh, and. Uh, 
great food as well. We were up early because uh, breakfast is at half past five. Again, oh, okay. Yes, you have to be careful about how much wine you drink the night before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first stage, uh, the race started at actual half past seven. And unfortunately, this was the day which we promised to get the most, the best views of the race because we headed up into the Labombo Mountains. It was the hardest riding of the race, a lot of climbing, but unfortunately the cloud was down and we couldn't see all the way over to um, the St. Lucia Lake itself and the ocean. That was a pity, but the one good thing about the slightly inclement weather was it made it a bit cooler, which made uh, the riding a bit better. I rode with uh, Andrew and there'd been a couple of problems with my bicycle, which I really should have sorted out beforehand. So I was dreadful on the bicycle that day and uh, struggle to stay up with him but what I did discover was uh, at the first water point they have chocolate brownies I gather yes that seemed to become quite a big thing in your life over these few well days. I you see I wasn't expecting chocolate brownies to appear <laughs> at every stop so I ate my fill of these delicious chocolate brownies at the first water point mm. I then discovered them again at the second water point. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised you have problems on the bike, Stephen. <laughs> well, there is that too, yes. But it, I have to say, I don't know if it was to do with uh, being on a bike and being in a great outdoors, but uh, the chocolate brownies certainly were a very big uh, motivator in my life when I was the uh, on the bike. Okay. And uh, yes, we, we got back to the camp eventually and uh, we got back in time actually for myself and a few others to go on a game dry in the Mkuzi uh, game reserve uh, later that afternoon. And the amount of work which, which has been done in making the park accessible to ordinary people, they put in these special bridges in the, the marshy areas and uh, these aerial walkways so you can literally walk into the fig forest and have a bird's eye view into the forest and possibly down to game elephant uh, bird life into the river which wasn't running at that stage uh, so all very special so as i said earlier it was it turned out to be more than just a bike ride there's so much else to do there yeah well, well. E exactly well i mean that that's the whole thing about if you you do get through your ride fairly quickly there are other things the game drives as well because of course we we spend all this time in the the greater isthmus it's a Mangaliso a wetland parkland. Mkuzi is part of the, you know, the the joined up parkland area, and this whole thing extends all the way from Cape St Lucia all the way up to Cozy Bay and beyond. I mean, it's a fantastic stretch of coastal country which takes in a range of uh, ecosystems, biodiversity. It's uh, absolutely stunning, and uh, the weather's not half bad, especially at this time of the year. Right, so you went, got back after all of that, hopefully went to bed early that night and uh, got up on the Friday morning and went where? Ah, well, you see, now we, we'd uh, started that day in uh, in the Mkuzi Game Reserve, which was our overnight uh, stop, which was uh, from um, Mkuzi, which was where we sp spent uh, the night. The camp we actually spent at was the Mantuma camp, and we then headed from the Mantuma camp in uh, Mkuzi to Bonamanzi. That was the longest day's ride, uh, 95 kilometers, and... Uh, I found it, funnily enough, the easiest. I teamed up with my new teammates, and I loved the views on this one. There was a pretty decent climb up the Kubayeni uh, mountain, and uh, the views from there were quite spectacular. We had to cross over a game fence into the Pinda uh, private reserve. That was quite interesting because they'd uh, strapped two ladders 
to the fence either side and uh, there was a bit of a, a hand bar and it was a fairly rickety structure i'll be honest with you but we all managed to safely get over this uh, very very tall game fence which did hold us up a bit but uh, we went meandering along some fantastic single track uh, these are basically paths, and uh, it was all very good riding. We also got held up by a chain problem with one of the young development riders who was taking part. But that's the whole thing. There was no pressure on us to get to the finish at any time. And uh, one of the highlights of that day was uh, stopping at Gavin's Gate uh, near the Shushue River Lodge. And uh, there they had the first real coffee I'd had in two days. Uh, some of the chaps who were taking things a little bit easier than the rest of us, uh, they'd stop for a few beers and a few beers more. So they certainly rolled into <laughs> the, the finish at Bonamanzi in, how shall we say, uh, well, well prepared for the night ahead, which included Zulu dancing at the Bonamanzi rest camp. And it got quite entertaining because, of course, you know how uh, lithe and agile Zulu dancers are. They put on a fantastic show and then they grabbed members, uh, willing or shall we say unwilling members of the audience and dragged them on and uh, got them to show, do their moves. We had uh, a fairly uh, acrobatic uh, fellow who was on the ride with us who was walking on his hands and doing handstands mm. and I don't know what else. And uh, no one seemed to pop a muscle and that was quite impressive. <laughs> you recorded some well, little sound bites with some of your fellow riders. Do you, would you like to have a listen to those now or should we leave those for a little later? Well, why not? I mean, the thing is, these I, I spoke to them after the event, and what was interesting uh, in many cases, uh, a lot of them, like me, for, for them it was uh, their first time taking part in an event like this. Let's hear from some of them. Okay, well, there were three of them. It was Lawrence from Cape Town, then there was Chantel, and then was also Dave from Peter Maritzburg. So let's have a listen. Well, your name? Lawrence Chambers. First time doing the race? Yeah, this is the first time we've uh, ridden this thing. I wouldn't say called it a race. Yeah. We've experienced the adventure. And how was the adventure? It was wonderful. We were just discussing it now. We're from the Cape, so it's very different to the Cape. You get exposure to Isimangalisa, which most of us only know of you know, from coming through here on the tar roads. So to get into the middle of it was wonderful. Yeah, and in terms of uh, doing a stage event, how experienced are you doing stage events? We've done quite a few. I mean, my partner's done the Epic and we've done Joburg to see. We do things like Lesotho Sky, which is most similar to this. Uh, we've been up to the Tuli block done the Tour de Tuli. So this compares quite nicely to Tour de Tuli, I would say. I would call it an adventure rather than a race because the racing guys might get a bit frustrated, but the rest of us just enjoying it. It's great. What is your name? Chantel. How many hours did you take to do the race? Probably 20 in total. Is this the first time you've done the Isimangaliso one? It's my husband and I. It's the first stage race we've ever done. So Isimangaliso for first and first stage race for us as well. And it was my first stage race as well. How did you find it? I found it tough, but at least we did a little bit of training beforehand. But it was unbelievably beautiful. The whales today, the hippos, the, the buck the other day going through Pinda. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It is a very, very special way of uh, seeing the countryside. And we've seen a lot in this uh, these few days, haven't we? We sure have. I don't think anyone would be able to see what we've seen if you weren't on a bike. There is the, the thing about the bike scaring uh, the game away a bit. Uh, did you? How much game did you see? I mean, I also saw whales today. What else did you see? We saw a waterbuck. Um, we saw a dung beetle. Um, lots of those. Lots of those. <laughs> um, we saw the whales today and the hippo. But there was an element of adrenaline going through the bush thinking, wow, an animal could come out at any point. But yeah, great to see what we saw. Very happy with that.
My name's Dave. Where are you from, Dave? I'm from Peter Maritzburg. And uh, how much stage riding uh, have you done? I've done quite a lot. I've done um, Joburg to see and Sony to see and Bergenbusch and so I've done numerous stage races. Sometimes in events like that there's a lot of pressure. Do you find this a less pressurized race? Yeah, there was virtually no pressure here because we decided to do it with our wives, which was great. And um, yeah, it was, it was more chilled and I, I kind of like the aspect that uh, they promote it as a, not really as a race. So I would say probably 80-90% of the field aren't racing, they're enjoying. Is this something you recommend that somebody who perhaps does a bit of recreational cycling but is too scared of racing per se to come and participate in? Yeah, absolutely. But I would say, you know, it was a bit tougher than I thought it was going to be. So I would say with at least three months of fairly hard training, yes, it would be advisable to come and do it. Well, it would be great to come and do it. Yeah, of course. Uh, so planning to come back do this one? Yes, I'd very much like to come back, yes. Well, sounds like everybody was having a good time there, Stephen. I think they did. What I did forget to mention, of course, uh, on uh, the second day, that long ride was the fantastic way you came uh, towards, uh, arrived at Force Bay. There was this wonderful piece of single track. You burst out of the forest, and then all of a sudden, the Force Bay area of St. Lucia was ahead of you. That was a special moment for me. Right, so now, unfortunately, we've only got about four minutes left, mm. so we've I've got a choice. Either we can chat or you want to listen to um, your the guy who organized the race, uh, Shane Webster. Well, let's hear from Shane Webster because he's the, the driving force behind this one and worked very hard the second event this year, so they're still ironing out a few uh, hitches, uh, but it's interesting to hear his uh, thoughts on that. Shane? Um, I'm sure the last four days have been pretty stressful for you uh, and clearly the weeks in the, in the build-up. What did you give yourselves and the whole race out of 10, say, about the way things went this year? Yeah, 8 out of 10. Yeah, but to correct you on the, on the weeks of work, <laughs> yeah, well, I, can, I can say uh, years of work uh, because it's been a couple of years in the planning this. I can also correct you on the stress. <laughs> our, our crew are marvellous this year, they were fantastic and a lot of planning went together with that crew and I think because of that planning they just they worked like a machine which just takes the stress levels off you. you you've been very specific about this, not a race, ultimately it's about uh, keeping people happy. You must have seen uh, the way the people got together at night after a day's yeah. uh, riding yeah, and yeah. today hitting the spot. Yeah, I think, you know, what we're calling it is a timed event. There's always going to be someone who wants a time and they want to win. And that's fine. We're quite happy with that. And there's always someone who wants to see how, how well they've done compared to everyone else. Not necessarily to win, but they just want to see how well they've done compared to everyone else. So we're quite happy to keep it as a timed event. And guys generally are here to have an adventure, if anything. This event, and we've seen this with many mountain bike events, they can get enormous. You've got a, a critical number here. It seemed like a, a pretty nice number, yeah. a fairly compact uh, set of organization. Once you get a little bit bigger, it becomes a big, much bigger monster. You have to look at yeah. time starts, uh, yeah. delayed starts, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. What are your thoughts uh, going forward in, in how big this event goes? You know, it can never be a mass market event. It's uh, very much um, limited by the size of the venues that we're at. So if you take uh, Mantuma in the KZN Wildlife Camp, um, you know, oh, in Koozie, um, Koozie, I think we're at, at maximum there, 300 people. Um, plus, we have a, a staff of, or a crew of 120 people who run this. So, you know, we're sitting at 420 people and it's packed. It's to the limit. So, to, to make it any bigger is not going to work anyway, even if we wanted to. 
Ultimately, it's a, a partnership between yourselves as the organizers, the different parks in the area, yeah. local government, uh, the local indunas, uh, the local yeah. people. Yeah. That's clearly part of the years of preparation which has gone yeah. into this. Yeah. The relationships you've developed over the years, uh, is everyone generally happy with uh, what this race has brought to the area? Yes, but it's still too new. Last year is our first event, only 120 riders. So people didn't really see the value as much as they did this year. And I think after this year, you know, 300 people coming through, then yes, definitely, they're going to see the value. I imagine now that once this thing has got wings, you're going to probably get people booking very, very quickly. What do people yeah. do if they want to take part? Well, the accommodated entries went in three weeks for this particular year. They've just got to get on the website like now. They've got to get on now. You know, already our waiting list is open for 2015, and that's filling up pretty fast. In terms of the, the, the challenge of the course, I mean, on the first day there was some, you know, people looked at this, we're going to be doing this for four days, we're not going to yeah. make it uh, to the finish. What are your feelings? Obviously you're a fit uh, mountain biker yeah. kind of guy, and I understand from what you said in the prize giving that essentially the course isn't going to change too much. Are you happy yeah. with the, the, the different challenges it presents? Yeah, I am. You know, I wouldn't like to make it less of a route. I think it's got to be a challenge. I wouldn't like to take the hills out or, or the difficult technical bits. That's it. That, that's what it is, you know. And if you want to come and do this um, event, then you must prepare for it. And, you know, why must we change it? Personally, I thought the um, route was fantastic. It gave us a bit of everything. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. So well done. Yeah, thank you very much. It sounds like you had a wonderful time, Stephen, and I wish we could speak to you for a whole lot longer, but unfortunately we've run out of time. Mm, well, I'm going to try and be back there next year. I'd really recommend it. It's not too demanding. You do need to do some training, but the Isimangaliso MTB four-day, it's a great way to get into this. Well, I'm glad you came back to us in one piece, and thank you so much for chatting with me on the show. Saddle sores, that's all. <laughs> we'll speak to you again in a moment. Cool. Thanks, Stephen. Well, if you'd like to book your place, apparently the waiting list is open. It's www.isimangaliso-mtb.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. I'm chatting this evening with Damien Cook, CEO of eTourism Frontiers. And it's become a sort of an annual event, me chatting with Damien, because it's almost time once again for that big event happening here in Cape Town and also in Johannesburg. And uh, Damien's on the line to tell us what's going to be on this year. Damien, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm very well. 4th and 5th of September in Cape Town and the 8th and 9th of September in Johannesburg. Tell us what's happening this year. Well, probably the biggest news, as you've just said, is that for the first time this year, it's being held in two cities. Mm at the CTICC and then following up in the Turbine Hall in, in Johannesburg. And that's really just been because of the unprecedented interest we've had in attending the event from, from previous years from the tourism sector. Um, we're really seeing a much greater awareness among among the tourist industry, hoteliers, tour operators, anyone working with tourists. They're seeing the change happen in their own business and the shifts online. And they need to understand it better. They need to understand what social media is doing to their business, how it's driving bookings and referrals, how customers are behaving. So this is a really key event for them to, to come along and hear that message. So we had huge interest from Joburg in attending. So, so both events are going to be quite huge this year. It's the seventh time you'll be hosting the eTourism Africa Summit, at least in Cape Town. Yeah, seventh one um, in, in partnership with South African Tourism, who are hosting it. And, and I mean, thus far, this has been our biggest attendance ever in terms of people who have booked already, but there's still about 10 days to book, so we're, we're seeing the numbers still pouring in. 
And the thing I think that attracts people is that your presenters, you have real leading global online brands presenting people like Facebook, Twitter, TripAdvisor, Google. You know, these, these are big names in social media. Yep, they're all there. Uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter for the first time presenting at, at one of our events, Instagram, all of them. But then also lots of little companies too that are doing interesting things. Some of them from South Africa, one little company from the UK that actually presented at one of our events some years back called TripBot, who are all about how travellers can better access local information and advice from, from local people as opposed to other travellers that can actually access advice from someone who lives in the country and, and a local to help them plan their trip. They presented a few years ago in a very small company, but they've now been bought and acquired by TripAdvisor and have become a, a fundamental part of the TripAdvisor booking model. So it's great to have them back talking about how they've grown and, and, and their interest in the region as well. There's also is it Tim Davey from One Fine Stay. That's also quite a, quite an, a new mover and shaker, if you like, on yeah, the online community. Well, this is some, some, something we're going to be talking a lot about this year. I mean, you know, everyone keeps thinking, okay, the game's changed, social media's driving bookings, travelers are playing a much greater role in, in making referrals. But the, the market just keeps changing. And what we're seeing now is the rise of what's called the travel sharing technologies, which really has taken things out of the traditional tourism model into a whole new world. And that's uh, things like Uber. I'm not sure if you're familiar with yes, Uber. Yes, those, those are the cars. Yes, the taxis. Mm. Uber and, yeah, anyone can just jump on their smartphone and find the nearest cab at the right price for them and, and be told when it's coming to pick them up and track it on their phone. And the same thing's happening in the accommodation sector big website called Airbnb Worldwide now that enables people to let out spare rooms, houses, villas, anything as, as accommodation for travellers. So we're talking a lot about this travel sharing and the way it's changing the industry. So One Fine Stay are a, quite a niche site from based in the UK who book very high-end villas, homestays around the world. So they're going to be coming and talking about, about that market and how it's growing, something that's very relevant to the South African market as well. Travel seems to have changed, or the way we, we interact with travel seems to have changed because people want more of a a personal sort of connection when they travel. They don't sort of just want, well, oh, let me book this hotel and that trip and this. They want to know what other people are thinking, what other people are doing. It's very much more of a human interaction than it's ever been before, I think. Yeah, it's one of the great ironies of the rise of online is that a lot of people thought, gosh, technology is coming in and it's making it so impersonal. It's all being done by machines and technology. But actually what's happened is the exact opposite. It's made it much more personal because people are getting those personal recommendations and not just from companies pitching and selling products, but from other travelers talking about their experiences. And if it's someone you're connected to, a friend of yours, you're obviously going to give even more credibility to that. So we're seeing a huge amount of direct referrals happening from people who are traveling. The poll last year showed that almost 80% of Americans now, as they travel, are updating Facebook twice a day. And the notable thing is they're not doing this when they get home after their holiday. They're doing it as they travel. So they're making use of that free Wi-Fi that we always push that hotels provide. And they're sharing their experience, their photos, their videos directly through their smartphones. And that audience of 250 friends they have isn't just sitting back and thinking, that's nice. So, of course, their immediate response is, gee, I'd love to do that too. And what we're really stressing to people in the industry is these are your best marketers now, are your guests, because they want to show their friends are having the best possible trip. They don't want to say I'm having a terrible time in South Africa. So they'll go out of their way to take the best photos of the views from the room, the, the game they're seeing, the amazing beaches. Um, and, of course, as we've seen people doing everywhere now around the world, the food they're eating, taking yes. photographs of every meal that arrives at the table and posting it to Instagram and Facebook. 
and their friends and family want to have these experiences, and they're very likely to react to that, and that's a huge opportunity for, for direct marketing. And it's it's happening to a huge degree now. What used to be a bit of a gimmick and novelty is now becoming a fundamental part of the sales channel. I noticed that the CEO of TripBod, which I actually love the idea of TripBod because that's sort of exposing the, the hidden mm. local gems. I noticed that Sally Broom will be presenting mm. at both summits. So are you is it just reading from that, am I to understand that the, the presenters at, at both are not going to always be the same? There might be different presenters at both summits? There's some slight change in some. We've got the clear the core group who'll be there at both, but we have some that are coming in um, to different different events. Yeah, so there's a, there's a slight variation. Um, we have someone from Amsterdam Tourism coming into Cape Town who'll be talking about city tourism, the the experience they've had in Amsterdam in terms of selling their destination. Um, he'll be presenting in Cape Town, and we have some specific local speakers that are coming in in, in, in Johannesburg as well. But the, the the core group of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those guys will be at both. Damien, it's two days in both Cape Town and Johannesburg. Give me some idea of, of the structure of those days. Sure. It's very informal. It's not a lot of facts, figures, and, and, and boring PowerPoint presentations. Even the international speakers that are coming in, we've really gotten to tail their programs with direct advice for people in the travel industry here in South Africa. So your Facebooks, your Twitters, these guys have asked them to, to identify just five things in the sections that they want the tourist industry to take away from this. Um, what are the five tools they should be using or techniques they should be using to make social media work for them and to demonstrate them as part of their, their, their sessions. We then have some panel sessions as well where we're going to be getting a group of bloggers together who visited South Africa and talk about their content. We'll have a discussion of all of the social media speakers together talking about what their advice would be for different types of travel businesses. And then on the last day at the end we have a, what we call our social media toolbox, a session that I'll be running. And that's a very practical training session in what are the fundamental tools you have to have in the travel business to make it work for you. And that's not just for the marketing manager of a big international hotel, it's for a small bed and breakfast owner in South Africa as well. We've been talking once a year now for quite a while about these summits. And one of the things I think when we first started talking a number of years ago was one of the problems, especially in the African context, was the fact that if people were wanting to book online, there was always this issue about paying and the banking and the, that. Has that sort of resolved itself? Are we getting better at that now? It really has, yeah. I mean, there used to be a huge issue that we would talk about years ago. We used to have to have speakers in specifically on that topic, have the banks involved. But I think now it's become so easy, so so legally accessible and so secure that um, it's not really – it's definitely a concern for the customers from around the world who are very used to, to, to paying online. Yeah, and there's local tools out there for people in South Africa to use as merchants as well. And, and yeah, I think, I think people are very comfortable with it. So who should be coming to this? Because people look at this and think, well, you know, it's a big summit. You know, I'm just a little guy and is there a place for me? But this is really who you're looking at. I mean, the, the little guy is the guy that really needs to come to this thing. Yeah, we've made it as affordable as possible. And we really see an incredible range of people signing up and coming to this event. And that goes from the heads of some of the biggest international hotel chains in the country and biggest South African hotel groups down to husband and wife bed and breakfast owners that have a little guest house in French or, or, or out anywhere in, in South Africa. And then we have tour operators, we have shark diving businesses, charter airlines, all, 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 basically anybody in the industry that's coming to attend. And also through our support from South African Tourism, who hosts the event, they also enable selected small to medium businesses or SMMEs to attend free of charge as well. And if people have been asleep for the last seven years and haven't heard about the summit, um, credibility-wise, I mean, it's being opened in the Cape Town. I mean, the summit's being opened here by the new Minister of Tourism, Derek Hanukom. So, I mean, you know, you've got the credibility right behind you here. And as you said, it's being sp- headline-sponsored by South African Tourism. 
Absolutely, yeah. We had the minister, the previous minister, open last year, and we're we're, we're really proud to have the the new minister here as well this year to open it as well. So yeah, it's taken very seriously. South African tourism really see this as a great opportunity to get their stakeholders and business together and show them the way of the future. Because the more of their industry they see going online, the the greater benefit for the whole destination. And it's nice to see that it's moving forward now into Johannesburg. That that you've actually, I'm assuming, up until now, people have been flying down for the for the summit, but now at least they're having it in in Gauteng, which is fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. One of the most consistent um, issues we've had in the past is guys from Joburg that wanted to come but just couldn't take the time off or, or make the flight down and also the cost of obviously having to accommodate themselves in Cape Town as well. And there was pushes for us to move it from Cape Town to Joburg. But we saw a lot more sense in, 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 in holding it twice, so making it accessible to both markets. And that's really proved to be popular in both cities and we've seen great attendance at both events. That's fantastic that it's growing like this. I mean, you know, who knows where you're going to be next? Who knows? We are, we are, we are considering other, other locations in South Africa for next year, but I'll keep that under my hat. Well, well I'm sure next time we, we need chat, to David. talk about next yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There's always something to talk about. You have such amazing guests coming to the summit. There's always something to chat about. It's amazing. So you coming down, I mean, you'll be here for both of them, I'm assuming, as you always are. So are there limited numbers for these things, Damien? They're limited by the size of the venue, yeah, and they're both selling very well. So anybody that does want to come, I'd, I'd urge them to, to get online and grab a place as quickly as they can. And we'll give out the website. It's etas, E-T-A-S dot C-O dot Z-A. And the, the whole program of events plus everything else is all on there. They can book on there. They can see what's happening. It's all there. Absolutely. Well, yep. that's, that, that's great. Well, Damien, I look forward to having you back in Cape Town again. You, you love coming down here to the summit every year. So welcome again in advance for your visit. And uh, I'm sure, as it always is, a huge success again this year. Thanks very much, Karen. We're really looking forward to being back in Cape Town. I was chatting there with Damien Cook, and he's the CEO of E-Tourism Frontiers. And this seventh annual E-Tourism Africa Summit is coming soon. And this year, for the very first time, it's going to be in both Cape Town and Johannesburg. And if you'd like to find out more information, it is etas, E-T-A-S dot C-O dot Z-A. You can find all out about the program. You can book. You can do whatever you like. The, the one in Cape Town is going to be held at the Cape Town International Convention Centre on the 4th and the 5th of September and in Johannesburg at the Turbine Hall in Newtown on the 8th and the 9th of September. So if you want any more information, etas, E-T-A-S dot C-O dot Z-A. The world's most successful singing competition, the X Factor South Africa, is here. And our contestants are singing for their lives. And to judge their fate are three legendary powerhouses in the music industry. Arno Carstens, Zonke, and Oskido. South Africa, have you got what it takes? Catch the X Factor South Africa on SABC1, Saturdays at 6pm from 6 September. Brought to you in partnership with the KZN Provincial Government and proudly sponsored by Vodacom. Be part of the 16th Annual Durban Business Fair taking place from the 19th to the 21st of September 2014 at the Durban Exhibition Centre, connecting business fairs globally. Durban Business Fair is one of the largest small micro-medium enterprise exhibitions in Africa and this year will feature Business Connect, Business Seminar by Black Business Council, Business Fair Awards and Business Workshops plus many more features aimed at growing small businesses. Etequini Municipality invites you to be part of this unique business experience. Entrance is free. For more information, visit www.dbnbusinessfair.com, follow us on Twitter at DBN Business Fair and like us on Facebook, Durban Business Fair. 
And that's it for time to travel for this week. I'm sorry, Stephen, I'm late, but I think half of it was your fault. <laughs> I'm Corin Key. Thanks for joining me this evening, and thanks for joining Stephen. He was with us earlier. And if you need any information, email me on travel at safm.co.za or Facebook travel on safm. Just travel on safm. I'll be back on Monday evening with the law report, so join me then. And now it's again time for Stephen Coker with some nighttime music. Hello again, Stephen. Hello, Corin. Uh, yes, yet there's uh, so much I forgot to mention. I really got to stop rabbiting on so much. Anyway, with you until. 11 o'clock now, uh, turning our attention from travel matters to musical matters in SAFM's nighttime music. But it is first news time.